0: So this is the Self-Development with Tactics book. So this episode is going to be about Winston Churchill and there's going to be more after the intro as always. You know, as always, as every single day, as we are doing it every day. But yeah, there's three things that I'm willing to talk about before I even go through the episode. The first thing is, if you're willing to listen to this, as it would be a podcast, because it actually is a podcast, then please check out the first link in the description. If you're willing to have a summary of this episode, then please check out the second section and uh, basically like the third link, kinda. Yeah, I think it, yeah, 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 it is a third link. If you're willing to add some background music to the whole episode, then please check out the third link, Yes, check out the third link. And so let's actually go through the episode or well, let's go through what we are gonna talk about, which is Winston Churchill, which is gonna be amazing, which is gonna be hopefully pretty interesting and also to you because I have had already a look at it because I obviously have to go through the text before I can go through the episode here. And as you can see, there's a few highlights and these highlights are then gonna be down in this PDF, in this uh, notes PDF. Or in this basically summarized or summary of this whole episode which is a pdf and you can download it and you can print it and you can do whatever with it and i do hope that i'm going to be able to go through this one entirely today because i do not want to chop it up i do not want to kind of split it or whatnot so i'm gonna read Winston Churchill was one of the best known and some say one of the greatest statesmen of the 20th century though he has born or he was born into a life of privilege he dedicated himself to public service his legacy is a complicated one. He was an idealist and a pragmatist, an orator and a soldier, an av- advocate of progressive social reforms and an unpolitical elitist, a defender of democracy. So he indeed was a pretty interesting personality, I gotta have to say, after going through this uh, kind of article, which by the way is from the history.com site. And I like the logo. You know, even though it is fairly old and or it just looks fairly old, I still think it is a pretty cool one. I know why I like it. I enjoy it. I enjoy having a look at it. The early life. Winston Churchill came from a long line of English aristocrat politicians or politicians. His father, Lord Randolph Churchill was descended from the first Duke of Marlborough and was himself a a well-known figure in Tory politics in the 1870s and 1880s. His mother, born Jenny Sharome, was an American high-risk host whose father was a stock speculator and part of the New York Times and part owner of the New York Times, which is quite something I gotta have to say, which is evolving quite some money, I would say. At least at this point in time. I don't know if it... Yeah, if it is also the case, like, or if it was the case back in the days then. But I assume as well. I know I assume that the New York Times was quite always a pretty huge one. Did you know Sir Winston Churchill won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1953 for his six-volume history of World War II? Which is insane, you know? I do believe that if you're talking about, like, this thing, then we are basically talking about, like, um, is it, like, just how World War II went in terms of like what he did. I actually have to look that up. So he was born in 1874 and he was educated at the Harrow Prep School where he performed so poorly that he did not even bother to apply to Oxford or Cambridge. (laughs) Instead, in 1893 young Winston Churchill headed off to the military school at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. And I think it's just quite amazing to go through something like that, which as well, or once again, shows that you don't really have to be good in school to being able to get to something, I would say. And I really enjoy this, but I also really enjoy the other side because I do also kind of, not really fear, maybe fear, but I'm I'm not quite sure. I might be fearing that a lot of people think like, well, you know, it is totally fine if I'm just, um, well, yeah, if I'm just... uh, basically like not good in school. I do not have to be good in school because I'm anyway gonna be just like Mark Zuckerberg who is just dropping out of high school or college or whatever he did. I don't know the vocabulary. And uh, I'm I'm a little bit feared of that and I'm a little bit feared of when I'm just talking about that, that a lot of people are then going to actually think like, well, I can do this as well because it is not easy. And or it is not as easy as it seems to be or it sounds to be because you just have to be quite good at whatever you're doing to being able to sustain yourself quite um, at such an early age. I'd say you know and you really truly have to be good and really truly have to know that you are gonna be good and that you're gonna be able to just pull off something basically because if you're not good well I do not also want to say that if you're not good then being in school is probably a good idea but for some people it's just a good idea to be in school and for some other people it's just a good idea to not be in school like it it really comes up to who you are what you think about and all those things like it really truly comes up to who you are and you have to know that, which is a relatively big problem, I'd say, because who the fuck knows who she or he is? Especially if we talk about like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. It is a little bit of a difficult thing, at least in my point of view. Also with my own experiences, like I still don't truly really know who I am, but I'm hopefully going to find that out relatively soon. But we're going to see, you know? Bells and books. Churchill traveled all around the British Empire as a soldier and as a journalist. In 1896, he went to India, his first book published in 1998. He was an account account of his experience in India's Northwest Frontier Province. In 1899, the London Morning Post sent him to cover the Boer War in South Africa, but he was captured by enemy soldiers almost as soon as he arrived. News of Churchill's daring escape through a bathroom window made him a minor celebrity back home in Britain. Which is insane, and I actually would like to know more about this story. I might be looking it up afterwards, after we finish this one. Because it actually is pretty interesting. Like, um, he had a lot of different successes in his life, I would say. And this is totally a really different one. Like, not a lot of people are, f- fortunately, in this position. um, But still, he won, and he succeeded. What the fuck? I don't know if you can hear that, but there is a screaming child, like, in front of my window, quite... But yeah. By the time he returned to England in 1900, the 26-year-old Churchill had published five books. Let's actually talk about that, you know, let's really really talk about it. He is 26 years old and he has already published a book. What does that have to say, you know? At least in my point of view, it just says quite a lot of things. You know that he's a pretty good writer or a pretty good journalist and he's only 26. A lot of people just haven't published a book in their fucking lifetime. Of course, like, these times were maybe even more difficult than the times that we're having at this point of time, because, like, we can publish something on just as an ebook for free. We do not need any publishers and whatnot, but they needed to have some publishers. There were gatekeepers that prevented you from getting into the space by maybe not having enough money or by whatever subjective opinions. So, I mean, like, he, he's pretty successful, or he was pretty successful. Especially also at that early of an age. 26 years old and five published books. Like, this really says something. The same year, Winston Churchill joined the House of Commons as a conservative. Four years later, he crossed the chamber and became a liberal. Reforms such as an eight-hour workday, a government-mandated minimum wage, a state-run labor exchange exchange for unemployed workers, and a system of public health insurance infuriated his conservative colleagues who complained that this new Churchill was a traitor to his class. I mean, like, this, like, it all sounds so common to us, at least to me, and at least to to somebody that is living in Europe, because, like, we're still having the eight-hour workday quite, not really, because there's also a 12-hour workday somehow, and and all the other things, like minimum wage, and and the other things I don't know really about, anything about, but... uh, but yeah. In 1911, Churchill turned his attention away from domestic politics when he became the first Lord of the Admiralty, which is akin to the Secretary of the Navy in the US. He established the Royal Naval Air Service, modernized the British fleet and helped invent one of the earliest tanks. And I also wondered when I was reading it or when I was reading through it, if he really did something in terms of engineering or if it was like maybe only money or if it was just completely something different. Like, okay, I am the leader and I am the person that is actually well managing the whole here with the people and, and whatever. And this is why I'm also part of just the first developments of the, the earliest tanks that we know. Yeah, you know, I I don't know like it's tons and tons and tons of questions that I'm having, you know (laughs) Churchill hoped that this offensive would drive uh, would drive Turkey out of... did I? No. Churchill hoped that this offensive would drive Turkey out of the war and encourage the Balkan states to join the Allies, but Turkish resistance was was much stiffer than he had anticipated. After nine months and 250,000 casualties the Allies withdrew in disgrace. After the debacle of Gallipoli Which is just the paragraph that we have read before. Churchill left the admiralty. During the 1920s and 1930s, Churchill bounced from government job to government job, and in 1925, 24, I'm sorry, he rejoined the conservatives, especially after the Nazis became power in 1933. Likewise, the British government ignored Churchill's warnings and did all it could to stay out of Hitler's way. In 1938, which is something that I didn't know, kinda, Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain even signed an agreement giving Germany a chunk of Czechoslovakia if they are like just doing nothing. But a year later, however, Hitler broke this promise and invaded Poland. Britain and France declared war. Chamberlain was pushed out of the office and Winston Churchill took his place as a prime minister in May 1940. And there's a quote now from Churchill, "'I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat,' Churchill told the House of Commons in his first speech as a prime minister. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. If you ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. The wage was against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in a dark lamentable dialogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer it in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. As he says, and uh, it's actually pretty motivational, I gotta have to say. Though the future looked grim, Churchill did all he could to keep Britain's spirits high. He gave stirring speeches in Parliament and at the radio, or on the radio, he persuaded US President Franklin D. Roosevelt to provide war supplies, ammunition, guns, tanks and planes to the Allies, a program known as the Lend-Lease before the Americans even entered the war. Which is by the way still the case, like Um, There are still wars that are run by several countries, even though it doesn't look like it, you know, but a lot of countries supply other countries with guns and ammunition and tanks, planes, vehicles in general, whatever. So they are supporting them quite, which is something that's, um, I mean, like a lot of countries are doing that, you know, a lot of countries are producing guns. Um, for example, Germany, they are producing guns. I think also Austria is producing some guns. And I really doubt that they're not selling them to just any country that is in war, even though I do believe that there is some law, at least in Austria, that we should not do that since we are neutral. Yeah, or we are actually not allowed to do that. But I don't know what's what's happening behind the uh, whatever, you know. In the speech in Fulton, Missouri in 1946, for example, Churchill declared declared that an anti-democratic Iron Curtain, uh, which is the Eisener Vorhang, if you are just uh, German-speaking as well, a growing challenge and peril to Christian civilization, had descended across Europe. Churchill's speech was the first time anyone had used the now common phrase to describe the communist threat. And I didn't also know about that, but it is uh, pretty cool. Well, the, the actual situation is not cool, but him just being the one that came up with it and was able to just make it a quote-unquote trendy word, um, quite also has to say something. In 1951, 77-year-old Winston Churchill became prime minister for the second time. He spent most of his term working unsuccessfully to build a sustainable detente, or detente. Between the East and the West, he retired from the post in 1955, which is four years later. And in 1953, Queen Elizabeth made Winston Churchill a Knight of the Order of the Garter. Of the Garter, he died in 1965, one year after retiring from Parliament, which is quite insane. 1965, this is when he died. And let's see when he was born. I think it was in 28 or something. Born, I've just been talking was born in 1874 1874 1874 and he retired in 1965 which makes him like 90 years old when he fucking retired this is what you always have to think about like nowadays people are like okay I know I'm 60 or 70 years old and I have to retire right now because I'm old because I'm I mean of course I can understand that I'm not even judging those people and I think it is even good that that, that you are having the possibility to do something like that and to just actually retire and maybe hopefully then do something that you actually like to be doing. The only problem that I'm seeing there is that such a lot of fucking people are working something for more than eight hours a single a day that they don't like. And it is something that I've been talking about just hundreds of times before, but it is still something that's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important for me. Um, Because yeah, it, it is important because you have to work on something. You have to do something every day that you don't like. Of course, this is going to fuck with you. Of course, it's not going to be something that you like. Of course, it's going to be insane. But still quite a lot of people are doing that, which is quite a shame and quite a pity as well, because you, you don't have to Sometimes, you know, most often it really comes up to just being in need of the money, you know, that you are earning with this fuckered, fucked, up, sh- fucked up and shitty job that you're doing so that you can actually buy some things that you quite often don't really need to maybe impress people you don't even like. And this is a problem. It is a really big problem. And I I, I haven't seen it. Well, kind of. I do assume there's so many people, unfortunately, that are doing that. But yeah, so please, 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 if you're listening to this and if you're young enough like I am, then um, please think about that and please your whole lifelong do something that you actually like to be doing. Give a fuck about the money, you know, you can sustain, like, it's not really about the money, it's really about what we're spending in the end, because if you're spending a lot then you're not having a lot, but if you're spending not a lot then you're having a lot. No matter how, money, how much money you're having. Of course, if you're having a lot of money, then you're also able to spend more. But if you're able to just reduce the amount of, of spending that you're having, then you can live with whatever money, you know? But yeah, I think this is going to be the end of the episode. I think this is going to be the end of the episode. And I wish you the best health, of and also success. And I also hope that you are... Uh reminding yourself of the fact that um, we can be remembered as really good people and we can also be remembered as really bad people and we decide you know we decide how we are going to be remembered and you also decide three other questions that i'm having for you are why are you here what are trying to change and what is bothering you the most these three questions are hopefully going to show you your purpose and maybe even a business idea but we're going to see you know And I'm also hopefully going to see you the next time. So please, maybe subscribe to the podcast and also to the YouTube channel. And I'm hopefully going to see you the next time. Bye. Bye.